Take your Bibles then, if you would, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. What Paul is going to do for us now as he finishes off chapter 5 in the book of Romans, of course, when he originally wrote it, it wouldn't have been a chapter, but as he finishes off this thought, what he is introducing to us is a contrast. It is a contrast between Adam and Christ. It is a contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. It is a contrast between the one who brought suffering and the one who brought uh, healing, uh, who suffered for us. It is a contrast between the one who brought darkness and the one who is light, a contrast between truth and lies, a contrast between uh, the one who brought destruction and the one who brings life. And this is the contrast that is throughout the rest of chapter 5 as we look at it this morning. And it also then mirrors the same conflict and reality that we always come to, not only Easter Sunday, but every Sunday, really every day of our lives. As we noted uh, in the animation that we saw on Good Friday, there really are only two choices as we observe Christ. We either recognize that he has the crown on his head as the crown, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we submit to him as Lord and Savior. Or we are with those who crowned him with a crown of thorns, crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Either he is Lord of our lives, or we are still pretending to be Lord of our lives, and we are rejecting him. As you come in this morning, this is not just sort of another holiday and a great time to be together with family and church once a year. This is something that you need to do something with. You cannot just leave this alone as you observe Jesus Christ on the cross. Either he is your Lord uh, or you are rejecting him as Lord and attempting to be your own God. And this contrast then weaves its way through our passage this morning. We're all in Adam, but there are only some of us who are also in Christ. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would be not only in Adam as you are because you're human, but that you would also be in Christ this morning. And so follow along with, you, with me, if you would, as I read Romans chapter 5, verses 20, uh, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. 
And so again, we have before us, Paul lays out for us a very stark contrast. And the contrast is between Adam and Jesus, the one who brought pain and the one who brings healing, the one who brought despair and the one who brings hope, the one who brought death and the one who brings life. This same contrast then relates to all of us. Who is Jesus? Who is this one? Is he your Lord and Savior, or are you still your own Lord and attempting to be your own Savior? Paul then, in the first place, wants to show us the need for grace, and the word for today is grace. It's everywhere in this passage. In fact, Paul's going to use a term where he says the superabundance of grace. Thank God for his grace. If it's based on our merit, we are lost. If it's based on our talents and our righteousness, we are lost. If it is based on karma, we are lost. If it's based on our good works outweighing our bad, we are lost. Our only hope is grace, and Paul reminds us of it in this passage. And so in the first place, we see the need for it. First of all, we see in verse 12 that Adam introduced sin into the world. As we know, when God originally created all things, he said that it was good and very good. There was an ability for the first man to sin and an ability for him to not sin. He was innocent, as theologians say, Adam and Eve. And yet, given the choice, they made the choice that all of us would have made had that been us, and they chose sin. They chose selfishness. They chose themselves. They did not trust God. They did not want God to be God. They did not want him to rule and reign over them. They wanted to be Lord and Master. They wanted their own way. They wanted the way of ease. It is easy to give in to our hearts and be those that are selfish. It is easy to give in to our passions. It is easy to follow what our heart tells us. Is it easy to follow our own intellect? Is it easy to follow the way of man? It seems that that is the right way. And yet, of course, it leads to death and destruction. And this is what Adam did. And so Adam, Adam introduces sin into the world. And what happens as a result of sin? It says, and death through sin. Sin then results in death. Death was not a part of God's original creation. God is a God of life. He is the one that is life and gives life. Death was not a part of the original creation. And yet because of sin, death now enters into creation. Oftentimes when we get to the genealogies, wherever they appear in Scripture, but certainly in the book of Genesis, we sort of skip over that chapter and go on to the next one in our Bible reading plan. And yet there is something that is chilling as you read the genealogies. So-and-so lived and then they died. And we're reminded repeatedly in those genealogies that death is now a part of the uh, human race. Death is now a part of our created world. We, of all people, as believers in Jesus Christ, ought to be the most aware of our own mortality. There are those that fear death, those that try to deny death, delay death, certainly. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, understand death and understand that Jesus bore death for us so we can have life. But the result of sin is death. Now what is Paul's point? Because he's writing to a group of people that believe that they are righteous because of their ethnicity and because of their righteous works, their righteous deeds. So he makes a third point, which is that death comes to everyone. What does he say? And so death spread to all men 
and verse 14 buttresses his point. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Whether you had the law or didn't have the law, one thing is certain. Death comes to everyone. It's not a comfortable topic. It's not something that we like to dwell on or talk about much, if at all. But the reality is that all die. Whether you are rich or whether you are poor, whether you have lots of followers on social media or nobody knows your name, whether you've done great accomplishments according to yourself and others, or whether you believe you've done nothing of significance, it does not matter whether you're high or low, rich, poor, whatever it is, all die. And therefore, what is the implication from that that must mean then that all are sinners? If the wages of sin is death and all die, that must mean that all are sinners, which is where Paul comes full circle then as he wraps up verse 12, because all sinned. And he buttresses that again, he builds on that or, or, or um, adds to his argumentation in verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What is Paul saying? Was he saying that before the Mosaic law, sin didn't count? That's not what he's saying. He's already addressed this in chapter 4. There's sin and then there's trespass, and it's a word that he uses repeated through this passage. The law simply clarified and codified what was righteous and therefore what was sin. Sin existed in the world, and Paul said, well, the reason we know that because death existed in the world. Whether you sinned in the same way that Adam did, and whether you sinned in a way that broke the law or not, before the law was even given, the reality is all are sinners, and that is proven by the fact that all die. And so as you come to this Easter Sunday once again, I think all of us need to recognize that death is a reality for all of us, and all of us are sinners. It's not about a comparison game. It's not about whether you're better than the person that is sitting next to you or someone that is the worst you can possibly imagine. The question is, are you perfect? When you match yourself up, not to your fellow human beings, but to the thrice holy God, how do you match up? The reality is that you are a sinner. We are all sinners, and it's proven by the fact that all of us will die. And so the need is there for grace, and Paul lays that out for his audience in Rome and also then here this morning. And so what does he give us then in the second place? He reveals to us the beautiful reality of grace. Grace is one of those things similar to a diamond. that as you look at it from different angles and the light hits it in different ways, you see different facets of it. It is such a beautiful, abundant thing. And this is, Paul just gives us some things about grace that make it so beautiful. In the first place in verse 15, we see that grace gives life. Adam took life. Adam brought death into the creation. Jesus brings life. Notice what it says in verse 15. The free gift of the grace of God is not like Adam's trespass. The result of Adam's sin and his trespass, his transgression against the law was death. But notice, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Where, where the one man's trespass brought death, Jesus Christ brings life. And not just life, but abundant life here and in the life to come. Grace is like God in that it, and it's from him and he is grace. He defines for us what it is. It's life-giving. It infuses everything with life. Sin and transgression takes life. It causes death and destruction. Everywhere sin goes, death follows. But where Jesus Christ is, there is life. 
Notice the abundance of the, the grace of God. It is infinitely abundant in verse 16. The free gift is also not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. How in the world do you put it back in the box? Once Pandora's box, so to speak, is open, how do you, how do you make that right? When the first man and woman chose themselves over God, how, how do you change that? Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. God found a way through Jesus Christ, the righteous. One trespass brought condemnation for all. And for millennia, we have felt the weight and the effects of that one trespass. War and malice and hatred and jealousy and covetousness and greed. And it goes on and on and on. And it's inside of all of our hearts. That was brought on by Adam's sin. But Christ bore the full weight of the penalty of sin on the cross. God the Father treated God the Son as if he had personally committed every sin that you and I will ever commit. He bore the full weight of it. All of the many trespasses, Paul says, are borne by Jesus Christ so that we can have justification. We can be declared righteous by God. And how much more then, as we saw on Good Friday, is it than just sort of bringing our account back to zero as if we had an account that had zero in it before? It is not just that Christ pays the penalty of our sin, which he does, which is amazing, but he actually gives us his righteousness. If we were able to go up above the city of Charlottetown for just one evening, and in that evening we were given the ability by God to see every act of sin that happens just in Charlottetown for just one night. I believe that within the first few seconds we would avert our gaze. And just imagine all of the sin that takes place all around the world all of the time. That is the result of one man's trespass. But then you see the abundance then, the infinite abundance of God's grace, that all of those sins and be taken care of by Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. Grace then conquers death, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. You get the, the word picture of death as king. But he's a conquered king. He has no real power. He seems powerful. And he is certainly too powerful for us. We cannot conquer him. But Christ did. That's what we're celebrating this morning. He rose back to life from the grave. King Death is a conquered king. He's not still reigning. Death reigned through Adam. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We would expect perhaps Paul to say, death reigned and now life is reigning, but he changes it a bit. Those who have life in Jesus Christ are reigning. That's you and I if we're in Christ. We don't fear death. Christians are not naive. They're not gullible. They're perhaps probably more aware of their own mortality than non-believers. But we don't fear death anymore because death does not have the final say. Sin is not the final verdict. Jesus Christ is our righteousness and he is our life. And when he burst forth from the grave on that Sunday morning, we knew that sin and its result, death, was conquered. It's a conquered foe. It no longer has the last word. Thanks be to God. 
And notice verse 18 and 19, grace enables the great exchange. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Theologians call this the great exchange. That, that our sin, the penalty for our sin, was laid on Jesus Christ. And he bore it with all of its fury. He bore all the full justice and wrath of God on our behalf. And all of his righteousness is now accredited to our account as Paul has laid out the case for. What an amazing thing that Christ was treated as if he was the sinner that we are. And we are now treated as if we are as righteous as he is. This, this, this is amazing grace. This is what we celebrate not only this weekend but every single Sunday. More of the beautiful realities of grace, the need for it, and now we see the beautiful realities of it. And lastly then this morning, we see the amazing results of grace in verse 20 and 21. What did the law do? Paul goes back to this because he's writing again to a Jewish audience. He is a Jew writing to Jews. No, he's writing to Gentiles as well, and Jews have only recently come back to the city of Rome as we know. But there are many Jews in the audience, and Paul wants to single in on them so what does the law do? Is the law the answer? No, what does the law do? He said verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law is not the solution, but the law amplifies and magnifies the problem. The law reveals to us just how sinful we are. It doesn't increase the trespass in the sense that because the Jews had the law, they were bigger sinners than Gentiles. It increases the trespass in the sense that it shows us, it clarifies and codifies for us, this is what holiness looks like, and none of us come even close. Grace, then, thanks be to God, is greater than all of our sin. But where sin increased, where the law exposed us for who we really are, what comes in? Grace abounded in the word in the Greek there is, it's superabounded. Grace abounded all the more. Wherever there is sin, there is more grace. Grace upon grace, grace is always greater than our sins. Grace reigns supreme, verse 21a, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Again, this language of reigning. Prior to Jesus Christ, it looked like death had won. It looked like death had won in Genesis chapter 3. There is despair because that's what sin brings. Sin brings darkness and death and despair and destruction. Adam and Eve are sitting there. They believe they are hopeless. And what does it say in Genesis 3.15? Yes, the serpent will bruise the heel of the woman, but the woman's seed will crush his head. And that's what Jesus Christ the righteous did, and that's what we're celebrating this weekend. Yes, sin reigned and death reigned, and it seemed like an unconquerable foe until Jesus Christ burst forth from the grave and conquered it. Now grace reigns through righteousness. We are examples of the reality of what happens when someone is in Christ. We have life infused in us. We are no longer dead men walking. We are those that are alive in Jesus Christ. And notice in the last place that grace will take us all the way home. What does it say? Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's going to pick up on this in Romans 8 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not that we can revel in God's grace this morning, but we live in constant fear that we're going to lose it. The grace that God has given to us through Jesus Christ never ends. And what the good work that God has started in us, he will bring that to completion. Are there bumps along the road? Yes. 
Are there failures every day? Absolutely. But thanks be to God that his grace is always greater than our sin. And death which used to reign, death which used to look like it was bigger than us, the fear that we used to have of it, John will say there is now no fear in Christ. Perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear of judgment and fear of death in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the grace that we have because of Jesus Christ the righteous. Let's look to him in prayer as we prepare to celebrate that through communion this morning. Father, I thank you for this powerful passage of Scripture. All of your word is powerful. All of it is true. All of it, through your Holy Spirit, when applied to us, brings life. Father, it is your power, and we are thankful for that. What a passage, as Paul pens these words, to bring us into this reality that we are so much in need of grace. That what happened on the cross is because of us. This dark day in human history was brought about because of our sin. It was because of my sin that Christ was crucified. But Father, that blessing that here we are on Resurrection Day, every Sunday we celebrate Resurrection Day, but a special Resurrection Day this Sunday because of Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ was not there. He is not here. He has risen. He's not in the grave. He's come back to life from the dead. Death does not have the final say. Sin is not the final verdict. But in Christ, we can be righteous and we have life. Father, thank you for the beautiful realities of this grace. We are so thankful for the results of grace. May we live in light of them each and every day. And may we invite others into this grace. Our message is not that we are perfect. Our message is that we are so imperfect. But we have been made perfect only because of Jesus Christ. And we are being made perfect and will one day be perfect because of Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our Savior. And we want everybody to know him. Father, for those who do know him here this morning, I pray that we would be grateful I pray that we would be humble. It is not us that has done anything. It is all of you. Father, we are wretched, sinners, rebels against you. Our way leads to destruction and death, and we choose it almost every day. And yet, Father, your way leads to healing and life and light and love, goodness, grace and mercy and righteousness and holiness, so much more. Father, thank you. For your grace in our lives. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.